Welcome to For the Love of Safety, the show for you health and safety professionals out there, where hosts Justin and Jed talk about their experiences in this fun, frustrating, and rewarding field of occupational health and safety. Let's get to it. So welcome. In this episode, we're going to talk about why compliance does not equal safety. And this is a fun one, Jed. It is. It's a big topic too, because a lot of people I think out there in in the health and safety world either maybe don't know about some of these things, maybe never have thought about some of these things, or they are stuck in the rut of dealing with a management, a leadership, or, or an entire company that's in this this in this uh, this tough world mm-hmm. that a lot of people exist in. So yes, this is going to be a fun one for sure. Yeah, I I think that uh, before we run out of town with pitchforks. Um, I think maybe we should rephrase it slightly because what we're actually asking is, does compliance make a workplace safer? Mm. That's more, I think, I think what we're getting at um, here. And I, I know we've got lots of stuff to, to go through and talk about. Um, and I, I don't think either of us are necessarily opposed to compliance, nor do we think that without comp- um, that if compliance suddenly disappeared, you know, everybody would be safer. I don't think we're saying that either think what we're saying it's like i said compliance doesn't necessarily mean a safer workplace so uh right why don't we volley that over to you first and uh why don't you why don't you start off with some of the stuff that you got so one of the things that we wanted to talk about to you all as justin and i discuss this is taking a step back or or taking a thirty thousand foot view into what is some of the data behind why we would say something perhaps as stark as it is sounding, compliance doesn't equal safety. Or as, as Justin kind of expanded a little bit there, compliance does not make a safer workplace by itself, as important as it is. And one of the things that I find striking, so the folks over at DACRA, uh, Don Grover, who has certainly been presenting around the professional EHS circles for a while, industrial hygiene circles for a while. Justin and I have had some good talks about his material. Both have seen um, him present his material and other others involved in that. Is this striking trend of the data that says that while the TRIR, and we could have a whole bit separate episode Gosh, on yeah. our on our feelings behind TRIR, but that rate itself nationally has decreased has come down. That's a good thing. However, what he has done and what those what those folks did that was extremely eye-opening to me was the fact that the fatality rate has essentially leveled. It hasn't really changed. And so we've broken less arms, we've cut less hands, we've stoved and sprained less ankles, but we're killing the same amount of people? That's not right. That doesn't make sense. And so if we're here to say that, well, we're extremely compliant here at XYZ Corporation, we follow the rules. Great. Are you safe? You know, what What does that tell me about the exposure? And the other side of that is that very word right there, exposure, at least for me. And I'll certainly let you jump mm-hmm. in. But if we're looking at hazards alone, that is, here is the rule. Do not go above this speed limit or, or we take a specific health and safety rule. You follow that rule, what does that actually say about the exposure, the conditions, and the decisions going on in your workplace? Because that's where the rules, that's where compliance initiatives alone fall short. Yeah, because you have to, I think people get into this where they think that it's the rules that are protecting them. Mm -hmm. And it's not. It is not the rules that are protecting them. And, 
you know, as, as people remove hazards, and I've seen this a few times in, in my career where, you know, the hazards, the number of hazards you're eliminating are great, but your, your injuries aren't changing. And, you know, just, just get rid of the nomenclature of recordable injuries and lost time and just injuries in general and any type of an injury, but it's just not, it's really not changing. Um, and I think it's because people, people think that, Hey, there's this rule, we're going to follow it. And automatically things are going to start changing. And it's not true because words don't protect you. Mm, that's a good way to say right. it. You have to, yeah, you, 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 the person has to follow it. And unfortunately, this is just kind of a fact of life is it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how many hazards you eliminate because you can't eliminate the most egregious hazard in the workplace. And that's humans. Unless you have a fully automated workplace, people are going to get hurt. And it doesn't matter what you do. I've seen somebody walk down the hallway, trip over their own feet and Face plant, knock out a tooth, and and some people say, well, you got to look closer at the floor, and maybe the person was rushing. No, no, um, uh, the the place I was at, the, the the rushing was not in their vocabulary. They were meandering. They just, you know, maybe one foot didn't 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 drag all the way. But I, I guess the the point is, is that you know, anytime that there's humans in there, you, you have to um, you have to be careful about the rules. I guess, and, and we can get into that a little bit more. I know, know you you wanted to talk more about the the risk aspect there. Well, I think they were saying we're 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 missing something. Sure, and 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 one thing the listeners need to key on in very specifically for Justin and I both here, and Justin said it, is that safety ultimately, or at least I think safety ultimately, is a people problem, and that doesn't mean I go hang people for the the things that happen in our workplace. But as Justin said, unless you have nobody in your workplace and it's a bunch of robots and nobody's actually there, your process is 100% automated. People are people. They are going to make either poor decisions or there are going to be conditions present to where something wasn't looked at the proper way, regardless of whether you have a clean floor or not. People are people. And so our ways to look at health and safety should be aimed at people. I said this in a recent episode that I did on my on my personal side of the podcast for safety stuff is rules ultimately are aimed at people. Just as you said, the rules don't, or the, the words don't protect you. You know, the pick, pick a regulation that doesn't actually protect you. And so if the focus ultimately the object of the rule is the person, then our safety, our practices, what we do have to be ultimately aimed at the people. So I think it's incredibly important. And something that bears repeating that Justin brought up, that I think that's where you get a lot of these problems where, well, we've, elim- we've eliminated all these hazards. We've done all these things. We, we follow all these rules. Well, you still have people in your workplace. How have you focused on them? How are you drawing that aspect into it to actually improve the understanding, the perception of risk, of exposure, which I have a good story about that, that a lot of people I think are familiar with, but some are maybe not. But before I get there, Anything else to add on that one? <laughs> no, I, I, I think you're, you're hitting the nail on the head. It needs to be people-focused. And OSHA um, understands that too, believe it or not. And a lot, of, a lot of their emphasis on a health and safety program is, is keyed around that because the program is where you take all those, those rules and regulations and the, um, you know, the, the compliance that you're trying to do and you, you mold it to what's what works for for you um and i you know and we they they want you to have this program 
um, they, they want you to develop something that's going to work for yourself because they know that, you know, procedure doesn't fit every single thing, every single situation that that can address. So, yeah, I, th- I think you're right on there, Jed. Yeah, and Justin makes a good point there, which is which is something else that, that you all need to listen, that you all need to strive for, is number one, looking to be flexible, because that's ultimately what Justin just talked about. It's about flexibility in the workplace to say, at your work site, with your people, and a true understanding of your exposures, your program is going to look different than somebody else's, and that's okay. And it's also okay to be able to know that enough to be able to coach your leadership enough in the understanding of your own business. And we have, as health and safety professionals, much to learn about business ourselves. We should be part of the people that are continuing to learn and grow. But you need to have, I think, enough courage in in the case of a regulator. Let's just, let's just go there. Yeah, we don't do that here. Or you know enough about your exposures that you can say, well, our program looks different and here's why. Because we know that the hazard the exposure is effectively controlled to the degree that I know my, my people are safe, truly safe, because we have taken the time to flex and mold this program, whatever it is, to what our people are exposed to, to what our people are doing here. That's huge. Again, it bears repeating. Flexibility is absolutely huge. Yes. And I know a lot of people get um, a little worried because they've been they've had interaction with certain um, inspectors from OSHA that are not like that. And, you know, you always run that risk. Um, you have to have that flexibility, but there are some things that that you absolutely have to meet the letter of the law to. And I guess um, my experience with that is as long as you have written proof and data as to why, yes, the OSHA inspector maybe slaps you with a de minimis fine, um, but at least the ones that I've interacted with have actually been... Uh, been very reasonable and, and understood as long as you can articulate what it is, not just, hey, I'm not going to do this because it's hard or, hey, I'm not going to do this because I think the rule is stupid. <laughs> you can't do that. <laughs> you need to make sure that you have sound reasoning as to why you do something. And occasionally you have to uh, have to get a variance from them too, depending on what it is. Um, but I, sorry, that got a little bit down into the weeds. Why don't you tell your story before we kind of get off on a tangent um, down that road? So when I, I've used this to talk to different folks, and I, I think it's so good in understanding, and, and, and we might be sliding into the philosophy of exposure here, at least that's what I would call it, but why we need to shift our eyes or expand our eyes on safety versus compliance alone. And so December 3rd, 1999, the Mars Polar Lander had just entered the Martian atmosphere. And so looking down upon the red planet, that lander was approaching the surface to its intended target, wherever that was. I don't remember exactly where. The landing legs were deployed, I think, in preparation for touchdown, and something happened that was unexpected, um, that was accepted logically, almost as if compliantly. It made sense to the computer, but it was not the intention. The engine gets cut out, and that lander impacted the surface of Mars 10 times more than it should have. That lander was destroyed. And so when they figured out what happened, there was some signal issues with the landing gear that the computer interpreted as a touchdown event. So it killed the engine. Well, it killed the engine too fast. And it's this idea of not being relational. It's this idea of being tunnel vision almost or having tunnel vision 
to where we're not understanding the relationships of things going on. And so that's compliance to me. If you're just focusing on compliance, you are going to miss things. You're not going to be in a, you're not going to be able to look at the workplace that looks for variance because variability is going to happen. Things are going to happen because just about everything that we deal with is related to one another. People specifically are built relationally. We relate to the people we work with. We relate to the things we work with. <clears throat> so not having that kind of, not having that idea in your mind can set you up for some catastrophic failures as that Mars lander team learned back in 99. Yeah, no, you're, you're absolutely right. Um, and that, that kind of equates a little bit to, to what you had talked about when we first started about, uh, uh, Mr. Gruber's, um, couple of his, the lectures that he's given. And I, I want to be very, very careful not to cross into, um, any type of IP territory, <laughs> uh, with that. But, um, part of the reason that you know, some of these fatalities aren't aren't decreasing is because you're, you're missing, you're kind of missing the main point because you're so focused on, on a specific type of injury that you're missing the signs of a more serious injury because it's not, it's not where you would think it would be. So the, you know, this idea of, um, of potential that runs through everything from, you know, near misses all the way up through lost times that eventually could lead to a fatality. It's the same thing. You're so focused on recordable injuries that you're so focused on that, on that, that compliance check, you know, you got to make sure you get those down that you're missing, you're missing what's there. And, and when you make procedures, when you make rules and you, you force people into this, you know, you have to, you have to walk one foot in front of the other this way and any variance from there, um, makes you unsafe. It, it's almost the same thing because you got to give people, you have to let them use their brains. They have to be able to interpret changes in what, what's going on the correct way. And the only way to do that is if you loosen those shackles of this dogmatic march that they're, you know, that they're trying to, to follow with your rules and allow them to see, Hey, you know, um, the rules don't address this hazards coming at me. So maybe I should try to try to, to do something about it versus I'm not paying attention to it because it's not in, it's not where I'm walking. So therefore I'm safe. Yeah. Uh, that, and and I've, I've seen that. Yeah. We've all seen it. I would imagine, unfortunately. Yeah. I, and without naming too many names too, from, from previous experience, um, I, I have seen what happens when you try to put a 1200 page manual together of how people should behave in order to be safe. And it, uh, you can't, you just can't, you can't find everything. And when I, I think sometimes too, so, so th that particular instance, it was purposeful. Somebody said, this is what we're going to do. But sometimes you accidentally get there because when you go do your root cause corrective action, a lot of the times it's, well, we need to put a procedure there. And every time you do that, every time you put this new procedure, this new process, or you change something to make it more strict. So, so you don't, so this particular incident doesn't happen again. You almost do yourself a disservice 
because you're you're giving people a false sense of security and not allowing them the flexibility to see those inputs coming in. And so it's like this insidious thing that sneaks up on you. And before you know it, you've got this massive freaking manual. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> you have no idea what to do with it. That nobody you ever um, uses. That nobody ever uses. And Jasha's uh, turn out the same way too. Or Jasha, sorry. J- uh, JSAs. I, I use the term Jasha. It's job safety hazard analysis for me. But for the job hazard analysis, it's the same thing. You, you do this analysis and it's four pages long and you wonder why Jimmy down in maintenance doesn't know what, you know, which steps are which. It's too much. You can't expect somebody to do that. You're analyzing everything. If you want to do it for yourself, that's fine, but give them something else. Yes. Yes. <laughs> that, that cannot be stressed enough because I don't care what industry you're in. That, that is a core truth to effective health and safety folks in the workplaces. It might be even more prevalent in some industries. And I would argue that way for construction. It's definitely that way. However, again, there, there is research behind this. There is data behind this and safety programs and safety trainings. Uh, the, these lectures that are given that, that folks are getting more and more, they're getting there. They're looking at the decision-making in the brain and, and what you're just talking about there, Justin, I mean, that's, that, that is, that is the whole fast brain approach. If you drive the same road every single day and you get used to that road so much so that you're almost complacent, that you're not, you have turned off your brain to think about what's going on. And that's the problem with focusing on any given metric, even if it's a proactive one, quite frankly, because that's the other side of this. Mm-hmm. When, we, when we talk about compliance and we focus on compliance, compliance honestly lives in the past. Injuries. Uh, for any any kind of incident consequence obviously lives in the past, but compliance really lives in the past because if you go out and you audit and you have a perfect audit, even if your people are holistically doing that, that's things that they've done in the past. So what does that tell me about actually looking, as you said, thinking about what's going on here, looking for the things that are here? You know, if I have a 10 out of 10 fire extinguisher audit, Great. What if I have, you know, the, the new guy lighting up a cigarette right beside an open gas tank or something? I mean, clearly, just because you have protections involved, you might be missing the exposures. Yeah. As an industrial hygienist, kind of moving into more of a hybrid role with safety, uh, I was able to observe a lot of a lot of this stuff because for an industrial hygienist, we, we look at a situation, we try to identify hazards, we try to measure them so that we can control that. And we can, um, so we call that kind of the evaluation portion of it. Um, and safety is very much the same thing. Instead of the hazards, you're evaluating behaviors. Not that I'm uh, promoting behavior-based safety. That is a podcast for future for the future. That's coming up. Um, but yeah, that's coming up. But we have to, I, I would be foolish not to recognize that as you're trying to build a compliant program, you have got to look at behaviors, not just compliance, and make sure that um, that some of the things that you're doing account for that behavior and are are flexible enough to account for that behavior. Um, I think that's that's important, and uh, I, I know we've kind of been been spending the you know the last however many minutes telling people what not to do, but I have a feeling that everyone's going to say, "Okay, Justin and Jed." 
that's great. We get it. You're right. We're wrong. You know, com- compliance is an equal safety. All right, smart guys. What are we supposed to do? <laughs> well, go ahead and le- um, go ahead and lead off, Justin. A- <laughs> I mean, because because I I have a number of things I'll just speak to just experience wise. But by all means, yeah. I mean, especially with you in a transition role that that you've been in, still with obviously in health and safety, and where you're at now, lead off. So I, uh, I, I'm, I'm with Jed. I can give, give some pointers, um, say kind of some of the things that I've found successful. Um, the environment that I'm in now, though, I, I never realized how much um, a culture plays into, um, into these rules. And even though it may seem obvious, um, I'm in a, a place where they have a compliance culture. They they will follow the rules to a T. And so as I'm developing some of these rules, these rules, I'm being very, very careful to make them very flexible. And what I'm finding is I'm finding the folks definitely complying with what's there, but start, you know, using their brain on, on how to do something safer or how to do something that may not be um, completely verbatim of what the rule says, but it, it it's it makes them safe and and I think uh, I'll give this this example from re- from recently. Um, we all know scissor lifts, right? We all know the rules for scissor lifts. You've got a guardrail system. If you elevate yourself above that guardrail system, you must be tied off. Okay, sure. So these these employees knew that too, and they were actually putting in some duct work. And what ended up happening is they elevated <laughs> themselves up in between in this small section because they were trying to put up a um, some sort of a, a hanger and they were surrounded on all four sides by ductwork with literally six inches around. I mean, that, that scissor lift barely fit up there, um, but they couldn't reach one of the things. They couldn't reach it. And what they did instead um, of like going to get a ladder or, or putting something else up them for them to step up and then getting tied off and then possibly getting caught is they elevated themselves as, as high as they could go. They have all these things surrounded and they went ahead and stepped up on one of the railings that was there and they hung the ductwork. The fall hazard is eliminated. There's nothing on either side of them. There's, um, you know, were they tied off? No, but what would be the point of tying off if you couldn't fall anywhere? And, you know, having the harness there and having this lanyard there, they explained to me that, look, I would, I'm probably more apt to trip over this stupid thing trying to get up and down than I am to fall off of the the first rung on a guardrail when I'm surrounded by ductwork. And uh, I didn't get upset with them when they came down They and they talked to me about it. They said, look, this is what we did. We just wanted to let you know. And I said, well, you know, I applaud you for using your brain. Thank you. Thank you for thinking. Thank you for thinking it through. Next time, definitely talk to me before you do it. <laughs> Make sure that you're not missing something. Um, but I appreciate you guys feeling comfortable enough within the rules to try to, to determine for yourself what the hazards were. So, uh, so the, and that's a huge yeah, one. I think, think culture helps the mm-hmm. culture. Yeah. Culture helps in that it, as long as it's good culture, bad culture is terrible and it doesn't help. <laughs> but what Justin is just getting at is one of the points I was going to make and, and, and it's in this culture thing. And, and it's one of those popular words that people love to throw out, but there is an objective sense that we do talk about culture and that we need to talk about culture and, and the key of it all, the crux of it all is recognizing the issues, but then moving forward to change that. And one of the best ways to do that with people, because remember we said 
Compliance is about words. Safety is about people. You converse with them. You talk with them. You, by doing what Justin did in that situation, and if you guys employ that same kind of technique with people, you will inevitably get to a point where the next time when something does come up, the next time when it actually is an issue, the next time that you're not there, but they know, look, Justin came to me and, 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 and he let me speak about this. He let me tell him what was going on. You know, Jed heard me out on this one. You're going to foster a trust that is, that is essentially unbreakable. For all of the pop psychology junk that's out there, in my estimation, on culture and, and all that, just meet people where they are. Okay, it's, you, you meet people where they are. It's not okay to necessarily stay where you are, especially if you're in the wrong or you have a, you know, you're not seeing some things that are, that are potentially detrimental to your you know, health and safety, but meet people where they are because that's reality. You know, I would expect the same thing to be done with me. And the people who do that the most, the people who do that honestly and genuinely, that's the people I go to. That's the people I talk to. That's the people who I want to learn from. Look, it doesn't have to be rocket science. Some of our policies, some of our procedures, especially some of the industrial hygiene work that we do, that has a great degree of technicality to it, and as well as it should. But even in through all that, this doesn't have to be rocket science. And, and you're absolutely right. Um, there, there is no substitute to talking to somebody. And one of the things that I've also noticed that has helped me is when you don't make things so incredibly pers- um, prescriptive, it's almost as if you are giving them a level of trust saying, hey, I trust you that you know, you know a little bit more about this process than I do. And people really respond well to yes, that. Yes, absolutely. Um, they hate it when, when the, the person, the safety person comes in, says we have to do it one way, and that person has no idea how I've done it. That person has never t- turned a wrench in his life. That's when, you know, you start losing those people. And uh, you, you've got you to be respectful. You have to make sure that your procedures are flexible. Um, you know, and if, if people want to know what does it mean to be flexible, think of it as an auditor. You want to make sure that if you write a procedure and that procedure has to get audited, you know, you're going to have, you're going to want to write it in a way that you could prove that you know what you're, that you can have, um, objective evidence that, that you're doing it correctly. And those of you who have ever done ISO or anything like that know exactly what I'm talking about here. Think of it that way. When you're writing these procedures, you want to write it so that you don't have to, provide copious amounts of paperwork to somebody to prove that you're doing what you're doing. Um, you know, people are the same way. You just, you want to make sure that your procedures are simple and that, uh, that they do kind of, and, and I will say this, make sure it matches with OSHA too. Whatever you do, don't write a procedure that is, uh, in, in completely, <laughs> um, against any type of a federal state or local standard. Don't do that either. That's, that's yeah. a big no-no. Sure. And, and, none, and we're obviously, to, to the folks listening to this episode out there, we're not saying to do that. And Justin's absolutely right. But there is no sense, literally no sense, in word and policy and rules or by those things, put a bunch of landmines around yourself or your people or your company to put all this extra jargon and junk into the paperwork just because it sounds good or looks nice, or quite frankly, well, this company's doing that, so maybe we should do it too. Well, maybe, but did you talk to your people? 
did you have an honest conversation about what you're seeing? And Justin, you might disagree with me on this one, but I am under the opinion that accountability needs to be there. People need to be held to some kind of a standard. That standard might flex and move a bit company to company, but you must hold a standard. Otherwise, you're taking a foot off of the objective and you're really not helping anybody grow at the end of the day, in my opinion. Yeah, you hit on something that we haven't talked about yet, and you're absolutely correct. And in all of these scenarios that we've been talking about, we're assuming that people will, once these rules are in place, they're just going to follow them. You know, once they have these boundaries, they're just going to follow them, and that they're never going to make a decision that circumvents the hazard that we're that we're trying to eliminate. Uh, you know, or or causes another hazard. And and you're right, it's people just forever for whatever reason. And there are a litany of them. And I have heard just about all of them from, you know, I wasn't paying attention. I was just tired to um, my supervisor told me I had 15 minutes to do it. And I just had to do it this way. I'm sorry. You, you have to, you have, you have to hold them accountable for, for following it. Now, the, we're not saying go after them with the bat. No, we're not saying you need to fire them if they, if they miss the rule. I think you're right. You need to sit down. You need to talk to them. But there has to be some sort of increasing level of penalty because if they know that they're just going to get a timeout for breaking a rule, they're just not going to care because the you know they don't have any skin in the game. But if you start, hey, the first first thing we're going to do is we have a conversation about what you did want wrong, why it's important to follow these rules, what our goals are, you know, you are important. If you get hurt or injured, I'm the one that's got to tell your wife, your spouse, your husband, whoever. Um, you know, we, you really want me to tell them that you got injured because you didn't do what I told you to, told them to do. Um, you know, give them a little bit to get in that game. If it happens again, maybe it's a day off saying, look, we talked about this. We told you that this is, um, you know, this is important. You didn't do it. If they do it a third time, then that's just blatant disregard. And maybe you have to do something stronger than that. And maybe it's time for the company to think about whether that or not that employee exhibits the type of characters that they want in the in the folks that are out there because ultimately that person if they get injured bad enough that person now represents your company and when osha comes and investigates that you know they're i very rarely have ever seen the fault lie on an employee it's going to lie on the company to a that allowed that employee to get injured Mm. and it you know, this discussion is also when you need to rope in your human resources person or, or the, the, the leadership, just somebody. This is not something that a health and safety person should be doing on their own. Disciplining individuals, you know, working within company policy, you need help to do that. And you need to make sure that the, that, that individual, whoever it may be, in my company happens to be HR, um, that they are, are there and ready to support you and that the supervisors understand the steps that are taken. Um, and I, I will give a story here quickly about what happens <laughs> when um, everybody agrees, but nothing is done. And this is a story about parking, which may seem just like a menial, stupid thing, but it is, it's, it's a perfect example of what I'm talking about. Somebody wanted a parking policy in place. They wanted to make sure that people parked correctly. And there's a lot of people giggling right now, but I, I wish this was made up. <laughs> it wasn't. And it, 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 it laid on health and safety because I don't know how to say no sometimes. But uh, regardless, you know, everyone said, look, we've got 
um, you know, people aren't parking correctly. So we need to do something about it. So we developed a policy. We got buy-in from all the leadership. Uh, we got buy-in from HR. We had this, the, the stepped accountability in place. Everything was great. Um, then we sent mass communications out to employees. We had like a month long period to have them get used to the way that some of the things are. And then it's like, okay, after a month, now you guys, we're going to start. These are the disciplinary actions we're going to begin taking. And uh, I will never forget that the very first time we had our third offense, um, which was, you know, you get you get like, you know, uh, some some paid time off after that. Um, the third offense or unpaid, excuse me, it was unpaid time off. Um, during a third offense, a, a manager who helped develop this procedure looked at me and said, you know, person's too critical to the to the business, so we're just going to ignore it. The second that word got out that that person was not held accountable, you want to know how quickly that freaking policy became irrelevant? <laughs> exactly. Everybody violated it, violated it. And then when I tried to enforce it again, I was told, well, yeah, you know, we, we let so-and-so do that. So now we have no grounds to do it to somebody else because why is that person special and this person isn't? And uh, after a year, that policy became just the, uh, the laughing stock of the company. That's what happens when you don't hold people accountable and you don't, you don't have the, well, I mean, I thought I had the buy-in, but when you don't have uh, true buy-in to it. Yeah. And just a couple of points on that before we move on. There, there is something to be said. Obviously, we said you must hold, hold people accountable and you do. It's important. But there also can be lessons learned for health and safety folks to take a step back and say, do we even really need this policy? Because I'm not saying, oh, gosh, I'm not yes. saying, yeah, I'm not saying in this case it was that, but there are cases that that is something that needs to be considered to say, we're having trouble enforcing XYZ policy. Well, does it make sense? Do we really need to do it? Do we really need to have this 10 steps to, to go nowhere? You know, and, and then using that, you could, you could, who know, who knows how much benefit you might gain from people on eliminating uselessness. And boy, if you are the one that implemented it and had to learn a lesson from people, still, I'm going to argue that's why humility is so powerful because people are going to say, mm -hmm. Hey, I mean, you're going to run into the people. I told you so. But I think most people at the end of the day <laughs> are, Hey, I'm glad you saw it. I'm, I'm glad you saw it from our perspective. And and what we were saying, sometimes you have to strip the things that you have done. Obviously, we work very hard to make sure that doesn't happen. So that that's one point. And then, then the other point is the way to circumvent a lot of that, though, is what we just talked about with you all before, just a few minutes ago. Talk to them in general. Try to understand what they're going on. Let them offer a suggestion. You don't have to be pride police here. Let them offer a suggestion on how to make this better because everybody likes to do the thing that they have brought to the table. The, the best part of health and safety, I'm not saying sidestep our duties and our responsibilities. We will be involved. At least the ones of us that take initiative will be involved. Let them bring something to the table because if they do that, they're going to follow it for sure. So you can circumvent they a are. lot of this just by talking to them. Ken, and I, I will say this also, make sure to stand your ground though. Absolutely. If you know, there, there's a book and Jed, for any of you guys have kids um, and Jed, I, I'm, I hope you know the story. If you give a mouse a cookie, 
Oh yeah. I, I love the give a mouse cookie story. It's the lesson in it is be careful how much you, you give to somebody because typically they end up taking that and then wanting more. So in that, in talking to them by all means, you know, yes, get, get their, get their perspective. Just make sure you never cross that red line, you know, make your stand there, allow them input within that, that realm that they have, but make sure that you don't cross that line where you're allowing them to violate something just because they're upset that it's a rule. That's not, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about talk to them, get their opinion, get them to, to buy into this, make sure that they have it, but don't let them push you around too far. And I have seen that in one of my staff members too. <laughs> I have seen what happens when people think that they can push you around. And, uh, you know, many a times I had to step in and stop that from happening. Um, you know, mean Justin had to come down. No one liked it when I came down. <laughs> Yeah, and Justin makes an excellent point because here here is the brass tacks of that, or at least what I here's what I see as the brass tacks of what Justin just said. If you're not willing to take a stand on something that you know must be done, that there there cannot be a compromise because of the positions that we are in as health and safety professionals, then you might not need to be in this role. And that that quite frankly is a sound out to anybody that might be listening to this episode. There are going to be times when you will be challenged that way. There are going to be times when you have to put your foot down. You don't have to do it um, by you know, slicing someone's throat in the middle of a meeting. I'm not saying that, but you must be honest and, and truthful to that approach because the problems that we talked about earlier with a rule that wasn't enforced and then it just goes away and essentially the integrity evaporates, that's going to happen to you as a professional if you don't stand your ground. So I, I totally agree. And if you can't do that, mm-hmm. consider whether or not you're in the right profession. Yeah, 100%. So I guess just to recap everything that we've kind of gone over, because we've gone over a lot yeah. and we've kind of bounced bounced around here. I, I think Jed and I both both are of the opinion that compliance doesn't necessarily make a safer workplace. We need to make sure that we allow the flexibility and we allow people to make some of their own decisions so that they miss some of these incoming hazards that are there. Uh, I think we both pointed out that we don't know everything, but in our experience, there are certain techniques that we've used, which has helped us kind of get there. You know, we talked a little bit about culture. We talked a little bit about um, uh, making sure that uh, that the employees have some skin in the game. We talked about accountability. Um, and then we just recently wrapped up with making sure that you, you stand your ground and only go too far. Um, I think those are some really good pointers there um we have jed what do you think bud now that, that's a good recap it's compliance is just a small part of the game we we always want to we always want to be sure that we are wholesome professionals that we that we follow the law but that i think at the end of the day you do no less than follow the spirit of the law while trying to attain the letter of the law being flexible enough to get that work done safely. We want people to be um, in compliance. We want everyone to get safer. We want to make sure hazards are eliminated. We just don't want to, we want to make sure that it's done in a way that doesn't cause a more serious problem and that we're missing that problem because we're focused on the wrong things. Mm. Well said. Well said. I think that does it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Thank you guys very much for listening. We hope that, uh, that maybe you got some ideas out of this. We hope that 
um, that it was entertaining. Uh, as always, if you have any comments or questions, by all means, please send us an email. We would love to hear from everybody. We would love the opportunity to respond um, and maybe clarify some of the comments that we made that may have been confusing. Um, so it's uh, for the love of safety. That's the number four, loveofsafety at gmail.com. Thanks, Justin. Thank you, Jed. <laughs> <laughs> See y'all. And there you have it, folks. Thanks for tuning in to For the Love of Safety. You may always reach out to either Justin or Jed by email at fortheloveofsafety at gmail.com. That's the number four, theloveofsafety at gmail.com. Health and safety is fun. It's frustrating, but it is so rewarding. We'll see you again soon here at For the Love of Safety.